I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. I'm Jacob Rudner alongside my co-host Graham Hall. Graham, Florida just took on LSU in the Swamp on October 15th. Didn't go Florida's way though. 45-35 loss to the Tigers. Uh, marked the first time since 1977 to 1980 that the Gators dropped four straight games to their rival uh, from the SEC West. Uh, and uh, it kind of brings us to an interesting point. We're jumping right in with this podcast. Uh, it, more than halfway now through Billy Napier's first season, I think that there is a very obvious sense of, I don't know if I'd call it tension. You can you can describe it yourself when I, when I throw it to you here in a second. But definitely some displeasure, I think, amongst the fan base uh, based on the results in the first seven games of the season. Florida 4-3 overall uh, and 1-3 in the SEC with losses to Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU. I guess let's just start here before we really get into the game specifically. What are you sensing from this fan base overall? Uh, what is the perception of this new coaching staff now that we're seven games into the season and what do you think needs to happen in order for some of the coaches or all of the coaches to kind of get into better standing with the fans yeah it's a, that's a good question jacob it, it's a very difficult situation i think right now in gainesville because you were talking about a lot of people who were extremely i think you could say got their hopes up after that utah win against a Utah team that is looking very, very good. And while I'm not going to sit here and say that that, you know, win was a fluke by any means, I think that Florida did a lot well in that game and took advantage of a Utah team that really didn't have a good read on what Florida could do. And since that game, really, it has kind of been a rude awakening for Florida fans that had kind of, I thought, maybe accelerated their expectations after that Utah game when really the head coach and the coaching staff had come out for the previous nine months and said, there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. I think we need to continue building depth at many positions. I think we have a lot of talented players. And he even kind of, I think, did at times earlier pump the brakes on the excitement around Anthony Richardson saying this guy had a low snap count had to continue to work and improve as a quarterback and did say that, of course, the expectations were higher for a guy like Anthony Richardson compared to quarterbacks of the past, certainly. And I think that when that Utah game happened, Billy Napier came out and said that for a guy like Anthony Richardson, his wife could call plays. And he shut down a top 10 team in his debut. And I think many people quickly 
in this Florida fan base and outside, of course, national media too, local media even guilty of this, I think raised the expectations almost overnight after that victory when right. really in the time since we've I seen, a, I think we've seen a recalibration of sorts of really what Florida is dealing with. Not great from a number standpoint in terms of depth, depth for a lot of guys, a lot of players who have moved positions, especially in this defense from Amari Bernie, Trey Dean, Dewan Black, Derek Wingo. I, I can go on and on to learning a new system, to training strength, changing strength coaches. I think when you look at all of the elements, a lot of it makes sense for what we're seeing on the field. But the expectations, like I said, did change very suddenly when Florida got as high as number 12 in the AP poll after the first week of the season. Right. Since then, nothing has surprised me. This is a lot of what I expected, what you and I talked about in July, in August, when we talked about even, I think, what Anthony Richardson had to work on. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that, that he maybe wasn't this Heisman Trophy candidate at the time, or that Florida wasn't possibly this seven and five team fourth in the sec East when we made our predictions in Atlanta in July, this certainly has been what I expected outside of the Utah game. And because of the Utah game that has made it a little bit more difficult to process this gradual development than a lot of people were initially prepared for Jacob. I, I completely agree with you. I think for me, if you want to call back to the the expectations that you and I had set out on the podcast at the beginning of the year, which I think is, is smart and fair. We were both, I think, very within the pocket with where this team is at from a record standpoint. Um, I don't know in hindsight that a four and four prediction is, is, I believe what I said for SEC play. I think that might be on the generous side of what this could end up being for Florida based on what we've seen so far. We're going to get into that in a second here. Uh, but I think overall, we're going to be pretty close. I, I said seven and five. Did, did you? I think you also said seven and five, if I remember correctly. Uh, what, what did you say? I said seven and five, but I said it, three wins would be about what I expected in the SEC. And then we got into it, right. whether so we, we thought that that Utah game was attainable or not. And that would mean that that would have had to be the seventh victory for Florida if they were going to go right. three and five. So, yeah, with that Utah victory and then three sec wins i still think you can have a seven win season and, and then in my book that is right. improvement even if it's not what i think a lot of people hope for and, and i think that a lot of what is happening to to kind of add on to what you were saying is that i think that there's kind of a sense within the fan base that the disappointment is generated by who florida lost to as much as i'm not saying more than but as much as how florida lost in those games if you had told fans Florida comes into week or to the bye weeks, you get through week seven at four and three, and the losses were to Utah, which came in ranked number seven at the time, one of Kentucky or now a top three Tennessee team. Uh, that's already two. And then, you know, the LSU, I think the LSU was a game that was a toss up from the beginning. I picked LSU to win before the game. Uh, I think before the season, it was one of the games that I kind of had circled as one of the question mark could go either way kind of games. And it was that. It looked like that throughout the entirety of the contest. I'm not surprised by four and three. I would agree with Florida fans that there have been frustrating instances within those contests that led to them being losses, and they were winnable games. I think that that right there is the, 
the, the million dollar distinction. They were winnable games. It's not like Florida lost in contests that it was completely blown out of or didn't have a chance. And that to me contributes to the frustration, I think, because there is a sense within the fan base that Florida is not doing the things necessary from a coaching standpoint to put its players in a position to succeed in these close games. And it's causing the team to lose in contests that fans and perhaps even the coaches or the players think that they should have won. And so it has led to what I would say is kind of a, an atmosphere of disappointment from the fans so far, or at least from a, a loud group of the fans that have made their, their opinions known. Let's, let's zoom in a little bit though on some of the specific issues and let's talk about this LSU game for those of you uh, who are new or, or just listening to the podcast for the first time, the way that we do things is we break it up two podcasts a week. Uh, our first podcast is a review of the previous game. Our second is a preview of the upcoming, uh, which obviously we won't have this week. Florida's only uh, Florida's on its bye week. Uh, let's review the LSU game. I think one of the things that was troubling in my mind was, and this is going to sound really obvious to people who are listening, but the defensive play was not acceptable. Uh, Florida gave up eight of 12 third down conversions. Uh, one of its failures came on a third and 14 uh, in which LSU picked up 13 yards and converted on fourth and one, which is in my mind is as good as a, a successful third down play as you can get uh, without actually, you know, crossing the line to gain. So in my mind, Florida gave up nine conversions of 12 third down attempts throughout this contest. Florida ranks last nationally, over 50%, 52.6% of opponent third downs attempts have been successful against this Florida defense. Graham, what, what's going on here? What's the level of concern? It's seven games in. Yes, there are players from last year's staff, the majority of them who are within this defense. That group struggled last year. Just what is the... Where are you at with, with this defense, with Patrick Tony, with what needs to happen moving forward? I think short-term concern is higher than long-term concern right now. I think that, and I've said this, so I'm going to kind of stick to this take rather than sitting here or and condemning a coach where I, I still think we're really not, for a coordinator standpoint, maybe more so than a individual position coach right now. I still think there is a personnel aspect considering how many guys are inexperienced and then the experienced guys maybe weren't recruited to play that scheme and are, you know, it's hard to shed bad habits. I think overnight still, even with, you know, one year, Florida was a poor tackling team last year. And I think even for Billy Napier's emphasis on it and how much we wrote about tackling circuits and increasing the physicality in fall camp, you know, Florida still missed more than 20 tackles last night, according to Pro Football Focus. So I think when you factor that in and then you looked at even the undisciplined penalties, how they still were an issue in the beginning of the season, even though the onus was there from the jump to improve those. When you look at the defensive woes, I was always a believer, what I'm getting at here, that a coach wasn't going to provide an overnight transfer transformation. Excuse me. I think that that kind of is something that many people still fail to realize. And it maybe speaks to why some of these coaching hires are necessarily maybe not 
going to change programs overnight. Like a lot of people hope you need to, in this day and age, hit the transfer portal, recruit hard and have those players develop so that, you know, if you're running a scheme that the current team is not, I think, well suited for, you can still have some success and set yourself up for the future. This staff hasn't been able to do that, in my opinion, at as high of a rate as I think that they would like. They haven't, I think, prioritized getting and haven't been able to get as many young guys in the game as they would like because of a lot of the defensive issues. They're still having to rely on those same experienced players who kind of have been some uh, contributing factors for some of the difficulties of past just because of that experience standpoint. So that is kind of keeping things stuck uh, in third gear here in a sense. Um, and, and that is, I think a difficult thing for many people to stomach, especially because we're in a day and age. And I, I do talk about this all the time. So I'll be honest and say that in our daily reporting, I think people can sometimes get a sense that because there's good vibes for the first nine months, 10 months of a tenure. And, you know, there's only, I think a lot of positive things to say about the new people in the building before a loss ever happens. I think that you can sometimes get a sense that the new people in charge um, are going to change things overnight in a sense. And for everything we talked about, how great Patrick Tony's defense was at Louisiana, it did take a long time to instill that and get there. And some people I think were hoping that it was going to be uh, a substitution where they would bring the same level of effectiveness with the same personnel to Gainesville overnight. And simply that is just not the way it works in this sport. And there is, that's, that's exactly, I think you said that perfectly. I, I have on this podcast now multiple times, it feels like this season come up and, and defended a lot of what the staff is doing because I just, I have a hard time firing a staff or a fan base, firing a staff seven games into a season with a roster that they did not recruit. I also think that people kind of undersell that, the importance of that, of having players who you recruited, of having the players who match your scheme and your mind, as opposed to trying to kind of fit a, a, a triangle-shaped piece into a square-sized hole, into a square-shaped hole, excuse me. It just doesn't work. Uh, it, it, it's, not, it's, not how it, it's not how you operate efficiently, and we're, we're seeing this on a weekly basis. It's not like something that we are hypothesizing hey this might not work you know this is a this defense doesn't have the right personnel it does not have the right personnel we see it weekly now while that will require more time to see the development of how a guy like Patrick Tony is able to improve and 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 I should say it needs to be dramatic improvement between year 1 and year 2 because there will be an opportunity to infuse a little bit of talent via high school recruiting that they all like, and they have some really good players committed in their, in their 2023 class. There will be an opportunity to hit the transfer portal hard to try and kind of realign your roster in a way that matches what you're trying to do schematically. But in addition to having to do those things successfully to kind of prove yourself, you also need to then take those guys that you brought in to replace the talent that you didn't think matched your scheme and you need to succeed because at the rate we're headed right now, Graham, this defense is going to end the season ranked among the worst teams in the country in, in a lot of meaningful, not almost every meaningful statistic. Uh, that can't happen in a place like Florida. It's unacceptable. And so what needs to happen going forward? Well, first, there needs to be dramatic improvement. But second, 
I think we need to get to a point now in this season because let's let's chalk the LSU game up to a first half contest. It's seventh game in a 12 game schedule, but this is the bye week. It's almost at the middle of the year. Let's call everything prior to right now, this podcast, the first half of the season. I am going to give the coaching staff what I think is a deserved benefit of the doubt. It's a group that's proven its success at, at a previous stop. They were great at Louisiana. They need to adjust. And again, they aren't working with the players that I'm sure they think are ideal on both sides of the ball. But I think in the second half of the season, we need to start seeing some adjustments. And that's what's been absent for me uh, in the first half of the season that I think is frustrating. Uh, things like you know, certain players who are routinely making mistakes. And the fan base wants to blame just Trey Dean. And I think that that is also inaccurate. I think that there are many players who are making critical errors throughout games. Uh, and, and Dean among them, let, let's be clear. But but it is not just his fault. Um, there needs to be some, some changes. You mentioned younger talent. Let's see the guys play. Uh, give them an opportunity to prove themselves. Develop them. I think that this team is in a position where it could actually lose a lot of talent over the offseason. Just guys that realize they are either aren't going to get the playing time or uh, they don't agree with the scheme and the coaching staff tells them to move on. Those are very normal things between year one and year two of a coaching staff. But with that comes the imperative need to develop the talent that's already on your roster. So when you get rid of that top group, even if they aren't guys who agree with you schematically, you have adequate depth to replace them. And then you fill out the rest of the roster via recruiting in the portal and the high school situation. Um, let's talk offense a little bit from this game that, you know, defense is, is a clear issue right now and it will have to improve as we go forward. Offense is interesting to me because I think in spurts, we see a lot of really positive stuff uh, within Billy Napier's scheme, but at times it just looks so, so bad. Um, is this a, another personnel situation? Like we talked about with defense, is this schematics? Is it decision-making? What, what is the deal uh, with Florida's offense as we've seen it kind of fluctuate through seven games through half of the season, if you will. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I think that the downfield passing game is still something that teams are not really having to prepare for as if it's a, a significant threat. And 
a lot of that is because you are having an offense that is run by Billy Napier. You know, this is a team that since he arrived prioritized the offensive line with a dual threat quarterback brought his own running back from Louisiana and, you know, seemed very happy to hand him the ball earlier in the game. You know, Montreal Johnson had two first quarter touchdowns and then kind of they, they went away from him there. And, and, you know, you get the opening play of the game from another Louisiana guy in, in Trevor Etienne. He gets you out of the 48 yard line before Florida strikes on the second play of the game. I think that outside of, of those guys and, you know, the passing game has not developed at a rate that I think Florida would like. And, and some of that is a personnel issue. I think, you know, we're sitting here heading into the bye weekend and to get kind of, I, I think, honest here, you know, sometimes you do re- think about and reflect on your own previous reporting and how you, I think, portrayed some of the things that this team has to work on. And, and I think that you and I could both reflect and say that I, I think that we weren't as, I think, critical of the development of, of the passing game. And I wrote about this in my spring preview. I, I said that Florida lost five of its top seven pass catchers from last season. They brought back a guy in Justin Shorter, who I think is having a really good year, but he was not someone that I, I think that you could make a case for had proven that he was going to be a significant threat in an offense in the past. And maybe that wasn't necessarily his own fault. There were a lot of talented guys around him. Florida struggled on offense last season as well, but he was the most promising guy coming back. And then they add someone who that you and I were both very, very high on based on his pure talent, individual standpoint and Ricky Pearsall, but seeing how Florida's offense is still, I think you could make the case dysfunctional at times in, in the game. He's only getting targeted sometimes three to four times a game. And right. that is limiting the chances that he can actually impact the contest. And the limited times that they've even used him in the run game, going back to Missouri, 76 yard run. Um, they they are struggling to get him involved in some ways. And maybe that's because of, I think the, the newness of the situation, but you and I both know that with a lot of inexperience on the roster, and guys who feel like they should be playing, whether it's Trent Whittemore, Jaquavion Frazier's, uh, you know, Jamarcus Weston, Marcus Burke, they they haven't been able to even get those guys appeased, let alone happy from where they are from a contribution standpoint, because they can't even get the, the players that they gave the number one jersey to more right. than four or five targets a game. So I think that that absolutely is a massive issue for Florida's offense and why they are so... They're, they're happy to run the ball, but yet there are moments in games where it feels like they are purposefully attempting to pass in order to work on the development of the passing game. And when that's not working, that can kind of make you go back to your bread and butter, running the football, using the guys that you know, running behind Osiris Torrance when he's out there, running behind this experienced offensive line, using Montreal Johnson to run in right. between the tackles. That's what... Billy Napier is happy to do. And he even said this last week when he was asked about tightening the offense in a sense, he came out and said, I don't think we're out here trying to run a hundred plays. We're averaging between 40 and 50 plays. And Anthony Richardson at, at most is going to throw it sometimes 25 times a game. If Florida's attempting to rally, most mm-hmm. of the rest of those opportunities are going to be rushing opportunities. 
And if Florida's not breaking runs, if they continue to not improve at second level blocking, this is an offense that is going to be uh, sporadic in terms of its success and sometimes dysfunctional when everything is is struggling to to come together and and, and work right. out. Here's where I am struggling a little bit with what Florida has done offensively. I think that it's very fair, and you said it well. Um, it's early. It's we have seen some upside. We know that this is not just same as the defense. We know that this is not the group that Billy Napier recruited. Uh, there are some pieces within the offense where that was a byproduct of of Napier recruiting Montreal Johnson, who you mentioned. Uh, you know Trevor Etienne to a degree. Uh, Ricky Pearsall, Osiris Torrance, and those are key pieces, obviously, and they they've contributed. Um, I don't think they get the ball enough. I feel like I said this a couple of weeks ago too. We had this conversation where I I basically came on the podcast and I said I am dying to see. Florida get the ball to its playmakers and see what they can do. And I think what is interesting to me is that when Florida does get the ball to its playmakers, it is rewarded. We see, like you mentioned, Ricky Pearsall gets the ball. It feels like every time it's an explosive play, whether it was the 76 yard run against Eastern Washington and his only carry of the season, whether it was the, uh, the downfield passing that has gone his way several times this season as recently as last night, we're recording this on Sunday, October 16th, um, as recently as last night, Ricky Pearsall had several opportunities to have massive gains. It feels like the guy's open all the time. Um, but he doesn't touch the ball. He has caught so far this season just 16 passes for 303 yards. He's averaging 18.9 yards per reception with two touchdowns. Florida has just four players so far this season, Xavier Henderson, Justin Shorter, Ricky Pearsall, and Keon Zipper, who have caught more than six passes. Six. That's crazy to me. That is a that that you are not maximizing your weapons at that rate. Florida has just one player who has more than 20 receptions on the season, and that's Xavier Henderson, who's the majority of his action comes in the very short to medium game. So it's not like you're targeting your more explosive players being Justin Shorter, who's having a very good year, especially on shot plays down the field, really proving himself in that regard. And Ricky Pearsall, who we've known is an extremely talented guy. He gets the number one jersey. He We had heard over and over and over again from our sources throughout preseason camp that he was a clear playmaker, if not the playmaker on this roster, and he hardly touches the ball. The same can be said in the rushing attack. I don't think that it is well-balanced in a way that is productive. Montreal Johnson has 59 carries in seven games this season. That's nothing. He's averaging fewer than nine carries per game. He has seven touchdowns on 59 carries. He averages 7.2 yards per attempt on 59 carries. How is he not running the ball 12, 13, 14, 15 times per game. I don't get it. I think that this is a guy who's proven he's explosive. He's proven that this is the level of football in the college game that he belongs at. I would argue at this point, pretty clear that he has a future making some money playing football at the next level. This is a very good running back. I think he's underutilized. You can say the same thing about Trevor Etienne, who has fewer carries, 53. He's averaging 6.3 yards per carry. 
three touchdowns. He's only lost six yards in seven games. He's had he's has six negative plays in the rush game. And and here's another weird one. Last night at the LSU game, Lorenzo Lingard got a lot of run. You know, he didn't get a ton of carries, but was on the field quite a bit. I don't know what the deal is with Naquan Wright. If that's a he's just hasn't been good enough, so he's been surpassed on the depth chart, or he got moved down on the depth chart. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if he's suspended. It could be anything. I have no clue. He did not play last night. So something's going on. Lorenzo Lingard takes his place in this three-man running back rotation. And I don't get that. Why not just distribute between the two guys who have proven that they're successful, who have shown their abilities as runners? And I understand the desire to limit the amount of you know, wear and tear on your running backs and you can distribute it across three guys you think are talented, but you need to win games. And when it comes down to crunch time, I don't think that the best move is to protect the guys the way that Billy Napier is in terms of rotating the running backs or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think that there needs to be a focus as we get into this end half of the season here, the final five games where Florida will play four away from its home stadium. It's time to focus on some playmakers, and it might be time to break mold from what Billy Napier was used to at a place like Louisiana where his talent was so superior to their opponents that you could get away with mixing things up. You could get away with kind of doing what you needed to do or what you thought you wanted to do to get through a game. Here, it doesn't work that way. The SEC is too good. You have to target the guys who are going to allow you to be the most successful. That is the thing I don't think Florida has done well whether that's a matter of Anthony Richardson needing to recognize situations better and try and distribute to the guys who he thinks can be, make him more successful, whether that's Anthony Richardson crossing the line of scrimmage a little bit more and using the ability to be explosive in the run game, which we saw again against LSU with an 81-yard touchdown. He's a phenomenal athlete. I just, uh, that's my problem. I, I, I don't get the seemingly aversion. I don't, it sounds like a harsh word, but to me, it's what it feels like to just focusing on the guys that work. So that would be my offensive takeaway, not only from the LSU game, but I think really through seven games so far this season. Uh, my last question for you, Graham, wh where do you think that the team is from a state of the program perspective? We opened the show by talking about what needs to change in order for this team to kind of match the expectations we think that were set out for it by the coaching staff, fans, and media. And, and I want to end the show by talking about where you think Florida is at as a program today. Uh, it, and, and maybe let's, let's toss out a grade. I know that grades are kind of an arbitrary uh, way to go about things, but people love them. So, so if you had to grade the Billy Napier era, seven games, what you got? Oh, that's a difficult question. I will say I'll start with the, let me start with explaining before I give you a grade. I'll start with the Florida faithful real quick. I think that a lot of people wanted to believe that Billy Napier was going to be an overnight transformation, like I said, from Dan Mullen. But I think what a lot of people forgot about Dan Mullen is that he was a really good offensive play caller. He put Anthony Richardson, Emory Jones in a position to be successful a lot of the time. Did sometimes he make some interesting usage decisions. I think Damian Pierce, that's a very fresh one in a lot of people's minds. That's absolutely one. But Billy Napier, for as good of a coach as he may end up being, he is still a fairly new head coach. That's worth right. that's keeping another. in mind. This is his fifth year, really, of right of being a head coach. That's a good so point. I think that many people need to keep that in mind. You, did, you got Dan Mullen, who still made some interesting, perhaps 
bad, you could say, decisions after being the second longest tenured coach in the SEC. So that's worth keeping in mind. You were going to, honestly, a more inexperienced coach. And so that is, I think, the reality of the situation here. He can still improve as a coach, and maybe people weren't, I think, prepared for that in-game coaching aspect as much as they should have been, in a sense. Because for everything Mullen did wrong, recruiting, whatever you want to talk about, whatever your gripe is with him, I think that you can say that he was a very creative offensive play caller a lot of the time, uh, a majority of the time, at a very high rate. And the odds say that whoever you brought in here most likely was not going to be that. So that is, I think, what a lot of people have had to grapple with. Some Something that has kind of led to their ire is seeing the same, I think, management decisions. You just mentioned going to guys who don't necessarily aren't as good as the other guys ahead of them on the roster just to have a rotation there rather, you know, over productivity. That is absolutely the gripe with Dan Mullen. So to see Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson record single digit carries rather than what, you know, after a first quarter of two touchdowns or an opening kickoff return where they do everything right in the special teams game to earn more reps, which is something that Billy Napier has said. That can, I think, lead to some frustration here with the head coach. And for all the goodwill that Billy Napier and his coaching staff established here in the first 10 months on the job, talking about player experience, talking about playing the guys who are going to make an impact, everything that he said right in the buildup, that can come undone when you're, you aren't living up to that in the 60 minutes of football, fair or not. I've always said that it's maybe not fair to always judge the prowess of a coach based off of the in-game results, because so much, the other 350 days out of the year, that really is what is going to, I think, make or break a lot of coaches. Yeah, in-game coaching mistakes happen, but they can be fixed. You can change your coaching staff. You can adapt. You can improve. But if you're not doing the things to even put your team in a position to be successful, then you're not going to work out as a head coach or any really coach at the FBS level or the professional level. So I think that that absolutely, that's where some of the questions start to seep in. That brings me to my point about the current team right now. Everything I said about player experience, that the goodwill that they brought, that absolutely applies to the players. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, and maybe this is going to only add to some of the concern in the fan base right now, but in this new era, not just of NIL, but the transfer portal and where coaches feel more okay to do that blunt thing that you just said, Jacob, recruit players based off of their system and go out and find their guys and be brutally honest at times with players who aren't going to play here. Mm -hmm. One of the weeks to do that during the season starts today. Yep. The bye week where midterms are happening. You can transfer you can look for your new destination. And most importantly, coaches two months out from National Signing Day, early signing day, which is basically National Signing Day now, that is December 21st. Two months out from that, that process for coaches has already started. Guys are already aware where they stand in terms of the future. A lot of players. This is the week that you may, if you, especially if you're coming off a loss and, and you don't really see someone uh i think kind of stand up and rally the team together in a sense or or keep everyone together whether it's a guy like ventral miller or the coaching staff you name it 
you can see players hit the transfer portal and begin looking elsewhere. And that frustration continue to grow because they're now going into a slate where then you have to face a top Georgia team. And then you go to college station and then you're playing a South Carolina team that hung 40 on you last year. This could get worse over the next month, which is what I think a lot of people don't want to hear unless this team, this is going to be a good test. And this is kind of what I said when I made my seven and five prediction, it's going to be a good test of the resolve of this team. When the going gets tough, how bought in are they at staying the course, seeing it through to year two to reap the rewards of the effort and, and have the buy-in that really pays off because in this day and age, and I hate to sound like kind of a, an old timer here in a sense, man, but in this day and age, it's really easy to look elsewhere and regret when you're not playing and, and not see the light at the end of the tunnel. And this is the week where that noise seems to get kind of the loudest here coming off a loss to a rival when it's not looking promising on the horizon. It's time to start preparing for the future for a lot of guys, players and coaches. And that's something that I think many people need to prepare for the possibility for. I hate to sound like a downer, but we just talked for 30 minutes about expectation versus reality and what has kind of led to some of this discord. And I think a lot, a lot of it is a lack of preparation for what could occur. When we've talked about the difficulties of year one, you and I have used the A word. We have said attrition is on the horizon. And you yourself has said that year two could be a more difficult year for the Billy Napier era than year one. That well, is something that, you know, maybe from a not roster standpoint, one, from a roster, from standpoint. a roster standpoint. Absolutely. Sure. This is a team that if they did not develop at a rate that they needed to develop, if they did not build on last year, if some of the issues were still there from third down defense, tackling, you name it, they possibly were at, that was going to, I think, influence the ceiling and the floor of where things could be in year two. Let me put it that way. Yeah, and sure. I think we're starting to see how, in what direction that is shifting right now after these recent weeks of disappointment where you lose to Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU. And you're sitting there realizing where you really stand in the SEC if that wasn't already clear coming into this year. That was all very well said. I, I would agree with a lot of that. I think if I were to assess the state of the program right now and – and kind of call back to the the opening discussion of today's podcast. Uh, I think moving forward for the remainder of the season, it would be wise of Florida fans to shift their needs and expectations for what they want to focus on a couple things. Because that, like, let's 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 level with each other here. If you're listening to the podcast, let's just be honest. We're not. There's no firing going on here. Not Patrick Tony. Not any of his coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball, not Billy, not anybody, none. I, I Maybe maybe you could argue that there should be some shifting within the staff and kind of redistributing uh, some of the priorities. But even that, it's, it's, it's year one. And we've talked about the challenges associated with that. Still, however, I think that there are some big things that this coaching staff is going to really want to try and do uh, in order to kind of build that goodwill with the fans uh, maybe even with some players who could be on that fence of getting caught up in the immediacy of the situation. We're losing. We can't win SEC games. I think I should look elsewhere. Maybe I should put my name in the portal. There will be some of those on-the-fence kids, and I think that it would be wise of the team 
to try and mitigate how much that happens because they are not going to want to lose the amount of talent that you could lose, whether deserved or not. It, it is a reality that it could happen and there are ways to prevent it. Here are some of the keys that I wrote down as you were talking. I think that Florida needs to distribute to its playmakers better. Uh, I, I said that and I talked about it extensively. I'm reiterating it now. That's how important it is. I think that this team needs to build goodwill with its best players by getting them the ball. Keep Ricky Pearsall on the field more than he's on the field. Throw the ball in his direction. Design plays. Tell Anthony Richardson that it has to happen. But it is one of those things. It's not to keep Ricky in the fold. I think it's to just utilize your best receiver or one of your best receivers and give yourself a better chance to win. Run the ball more with Montrell Johnson. Run the ball more with Trevor Etienne. Run the ball more with Anthony Richardson. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Florida break out of its 12 personnel sets, maybe a little bit more than it has. Really haven't seen a ton of production out of the tight end position. Let's shift it up a little bit. Let's adjust. Let's see what happens as, as if, if you adjust in the second half of the season. Clock management is my next point. Has to improve. Um, I hear Billy Napier's point about calling a timeout or waiting to call a timeout until there was a second left in the first half uh, against LSU because he didn't want LSU to get the ball back given how efficient its offense was. I don't really get not calling timeouts within the last minute and trying to, you know, kind of extend it at that point for your offense, which needs points. We talked about this right after the game. It doesn't make sense to not maximize the offensive opportunity to continue to compete from a points perspective, especially knowing that LSU gets the ball back after the half. I I, I struggle with that. I don't, I don't get waiting until there's a second left out of an attempt to protect your defense. It feels like a risk that isn't worth taking. So I think clock management needs to improve. Uh, defensively, I think that it's time to see some personnel changes. Let's start filtering in some of the younger guys. Uh, let's see what happens when those younger players are on the field. And granted, I think that they will struggle, but it's important to start filtering them in, especially in a year where the record probably doesn't matter in the grand scheme of his tenure. It's a year one record. It's just how it works. And again, I'm being honest with you to the people who are listening to this. You might not want to hear that, but it's the case. It, it, nobody will be fired based on the record this season that Billy Napier's team achieves. So if you struggle, you struggle, but at least develop some younger players. Let's see some changes. And the last thing is, and this is goes pretty much goes without saying, but you have to continue to recruit. You mentioned having the bye week and the ability to go on the road, uh, You know whether that's making connections with new high school kids, strengthening your connection with your current commits, uh, trying to push the kids who are on the fence about, you know maybe I'm thinking about Florida, inch them closer. This is the time to do it. It will become harder to recruit in the season if you continue to improve and become more competitive. Billy Napier has recognized now multiple times that it's difficult when you have a massive recruiting weekend and you have to also prepare for an, an opponent. And I think as they become more competitive, it will become even more challenging to do those things. Year one is a great time to be able to divide your attention to be able to try and stack yourself up and set yourself up for the future. That is what I think needs to happen in these final five weeks of the season. And if I'm being very honest with you, I think this team wins either six or seven games. I'm on the fence between the two numbers at this point, And I don't think it's a disappointment either way. I don't think people should be fired. I don't think that it is a reason for concern necessarily. 
But but the, the caveat is time to see some improvement. Time to see some changes and some steps in the right direction. You can win six or seven games, but how did you win six or seven games? Billy Napier has talked about process a lot, about examining what led to the result and not coloring your analysis based on the result. The Utah game was a great example. Florida won. Napier said he wasn't necessarily satisfied with the performance. It was sloppy. Separating result versus process. If we're going to talk process, Florida's process needs to improve, even if its results don't. I think that's I think that's kind of where I'm at with this team at the moment. Well said. Uh, well said. Thank you. I, I got to say my grade real quick. C plus, and I'm disagreeing with you on one thing. I'm firing one coach. Okay. Is that something you'd like to discuss right now? No. Or is it a... Nope. Okay. That's a teaser uh, for a future episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. And if you want all our content, make sure to go sure. to swamp247.com. When that, if that ever gets reported, you'll see it on there. Look at that. Graham making to think about what could possibly be going on. I don't even know. I'm not even cued in on this. So uh, that was a surprise. Uh, and, and I think that's going to do it. I think that that kind of wraps it up. As Graham said, if you want more of our content, head on over to swamp247.com. Uh, tons of written football, basketball, baseball content, plus a very lively and active message board with over 5,000 active users. Uh, we are constantly putting out information there in addition to in our reporting uh, via stories and whatnot. So if you really want the full experience uh, and the inside track on all things Florida, that would be the way to do it. Uh, lots of lots of good stuff up on Swamp 247. Plus, uh, make sure you are hitting the subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Hit a like, drop a comment. Uh, if you hate everything I said, let me know. It doesn't bother me. I say it every week. Tell me. Uh, if you don't like Graham's hair, let him know. He loves to hear it. Uh, with that being said, Graham, I think this is going to do it for this week's episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. I will warn everybody so we don't get comments about it. We will not have another podcast this week. Uh, with the bye week, we are also on bye with a second show. So this is all you get for this week. We will be back with at least two episodes before Florida takes on Georgia next week. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, and in the meantime, we will have tons of written content once again. So uh, keep it locked on swamp247.com. For Graham Hall, I'm Jacob Rudner, and we will see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.